Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Scripture Uncovered. Hey, you'll recall that back in AD 32, on the Jewish feast of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit arrived in Jerusalem and the church was born. St. Peter stood up and preached a magnificent sermon. And that day, 3,000 people were saved. That day, 3,000 people who were in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost were saved. That is, 100% of the church was Jewish. After all, Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. And it continued that way until Peter met Cornelius. And at Caesarea Maritima, Cornelius and his family became the first Gentile believers in the church. Well, we think that's pretty good, but they weren't so sure back then, because when Peter got back to Jerusalem, he had some explaining to do. They said, what? You went into a Gentile house and you even ate with them? And now they're believers? Well, wouldn't you like to have been present during that meeting? But it was an aberration. All right, Cornelius and his family were believers, Gentile believers, but the church was still profoundly Jewish. Until St. Paul. St. Paul, the persecutor of the church, who had a dramatic conversion on the road to Damascus and set out on the first missionary journey. And on that journey, Gentiles became believers in large numbers. Paul's home church at Syrian Antioch had a flood of Gentiles coming into it, thanks in large part to Paul's preaching in Asia Minor. Well, the church really sat up and took notice at that. They sent Barnabas up to Syrian Antioch to find out what in the world was going on up there. Barnabas approved, and that laid the foundation for the council at Jerusalem in AD 50, when all the leaders of the church came together to decide, are Gentiles indeed welcome in the church? The answer is yes. And if so, must they enter the church through Judaism? That is, must they obey the Mosaic law? And there were those who said, of course they must. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, and we're perfectly fine with Gentiles following the Jewish Messiah, but they must also observe the Mosaic Law, a law given from God's lips to Moses to you. They must be circumcised, obey the dietary laws, and all the rest. The majority of the council thought that. But then Peter stood up, and he recalled what happened with Cornelius. Paul stood up, he spoke as well. And by the end, James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, James, the brother of the Lord, made the final call. Somebody had to, and he did. He was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, the mother church. And James said, we welcome Gentiles into the church, and they need not obey the Mosaic law, except for four things that were culturally very sensitive to Jewish believers and non-believers alike. The eating of blood, eating an animal who was strangled, and so on. 
cultural things, not religious, but cultural. How can you have a church where half the people follow the Mosaic law or Jewish and the other half don't? And there would be tensions, certainly. So that was the compromise. But Gentiles are welcome into the church. And with that, Paul, Silas, Barnabas, they all went back to Syrian Antioch and Paul began planning a second missionary journey to take the Council of Jerusalem decision out into Asia Minor and to the churches. The Gentiles are welcome and they need not observe the Mosaic law. So Paul and Barnabas were going to do that. And Paul said, well, let's, let's take Mark with us again like we did on the first journey. But recall that Mark had deserted Paul and Barnabas at Perga and ran home to Mama. So Paul said, absolutely not. We are not taking him. He's not reliable. And we're going out there. Remember last time I got stoned? We were beaten up? No, we need reliable people. Paul and Barnabas had a massive fallout over that. They parted company. And as far as I know, Paul and Barnabas never spoke to each other ever again. Barnabas took Mark and he sailed for Cyprus, retracing the first missionary journey. Paul chose Silas and he left, commended by the brothers, to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. He followed the first missionary journey, but in reverse order. And I'll bet he said to Barnabas, and I hope we don't meet somewhere in the middle. It was quite the falling out. One that makes me rather sad, in fact. But we continue now with Acts chapter 16. So Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek, a Gentile. Lystra, remember? That's where Paul had been stoned and left for dead. And I said at the time, if I were to grade Paul's work in Lystra, well, maybe a C minus. I don't know how many converts he had, if any, but we do know here that he had at least two, Lois and Eunice the grandmother and mother of Timothy. And Timothy himself is a believer. Now the brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of Timothy, and Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So imagine the conversation at dinner one night as Paul, Silas, Timothy, Lois, and Eunice, and young Timothy were seated around the dinner table talking. So what are the plans, Paul? Well, we're going to continue on following the first missionary journey and uh, in reverse order, and we're going to deliver the Council of Jerusalem decision on uh, the Gentiles are welcome in the church and they need not observe the Mosaic law. And Timothy said, and I picture Timothy here being perhaps 19 or 20 years old. Let's call him 20 years old. It's now after AD 50. So Paul would be about 50 years old. I imagine Paul to be about the same age as Jesus would have been. So Paul, let's say he's 50 years old and Timothy is 20. Timothy said, you know, Paul, I'd like to come with you. I'd like to help out on this. And Paul said, really? 
What do you think, Silas? Sounds good to me. Lois, Eunice, what do you think? Well, we'd be happy to have him join you. We, we are believers and we would like him to take part in, in this magnificent effort. So Paul checked him out. He asked around about him, made sure there were no problems. And Paul said, Timothy, we'd be happy to have you along. But there's only one thing. You're born of a Jewish mother, which means by definition you are a Jew. Now you have a Gentile father and you've never been circumcised. As I can picture that scene, little baby Timothy, uh, his mother said, uh, oh, I can't wait till the bris. It'll be such a nice time together with all of our family. And his father said, bris, what's that? Well, Timothy will be circumcised. You're going to cut off what? No, he's not. You're not doing that to him. No, not my boy. Uh-uh, not gonna happen. So Timothy never had his bris. He had never been circumcised. Well, think of the irony of this. Gentiles are welcome in the church and they need not observe the Mosaic law. That means they, the men don't need to be circumcised. But Timothy, well, he's going to join up with Paul and Silas and help in the work. And everyone in the region would know that Timothy is a Jewish male who had never been circumcised. It would be scandalous in Lystra, among the Jewish community. You mean you're not having Timothy circumcised? Oh, that, that, that's against the Mosaic law. God would not be pleased. There was quite the scandal. And everyone in the region knew that Timothy was a young Jewish man who had not been circumcised. The word spread very quickly after he was about eight days old. So, Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So Paul circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, the decision was to not circumcise Gentiles. But in order to be effective in Paul's ministry, remember, he would start out at a synagogue. He would teach and preach in the synagogue, eventually get thrown out of the synagogue, preach and teach in town, and so on. Well, Paul's entry into the world of the synagogue would be damaged by having an uncircumcised Jew with him. So it's a very practical matter here for Paul. And Paul did the deed. Now, as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. Now, can't you just see Paul standing up at a synagogue in Asia Minor and saying that Gentiles need not observe the Mosaic law? Meanwhile, Timothy's sitting cringing because he's just been circumcised himself. <laughs> I, I think there's real humor in that. Well, the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Now, Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. 
And when they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. So they passed Mycenae and went down to Troas. Now, we need to pause here. And I wish I could bring up a satellite map for you, but if you look at this lesson on Acts 16 in my course on Acts, you'll see the satellite map. Paul's going to retrace the first missionary journey in reverse order. Remember, Barnabas took, Barnabas took Mark and went to Cyprus, taught across Cyprus, just like they did on the first missionary journey, then north to the southern coast of Asia Minor to Antalya, and then to Perga, Pisidian Antioch, continuing north, and then east to Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. So Paul and company would have gotten to Pisidian Antioch, and they should have headed south to Perga. But they don't. They head northwest through Galatia, and they go over big snowy mountains. I've driven that. We've been there. And if you look at that lesson on Acts, you'll see that we were in a bus and it was snowing so hard that they had to pull the bus over and the crew put chains on the bus to get up over the pass. Meanwhile, we who were in the bus got out and made a snowman and had a snowball fight. It's cold. It's very difficult traveling. And Paul and company went over the mountains. And they go all the way to Troas, which is on the west coast of Asia Minor, near the ancient site of Troy, where the Trojan War took place and the scene for Homer's The Iliad. So they are way off course. And I can imagine, after they arrive the other said to Paul, Paul, where are we going? We're supposed to be in Antalya by now, the, the Riviera of Turkey. And here we are in Troas? We're hundreds of miles off course. Where are we going? And Paul said, I don't know. You don't know? Nope. Guess we'll have to pray about it. So, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia, northern Greece, standing and begging him, come to Macedonia and help us. So after Paul had seen this, this vision, what, perhaps a dream? He got up in the morning, they went down to have breakfast, and the other guy said, so uh, Paul, where, where are we headed? We're going to Macedonia. Macedonia? And that's what they do. They get on board ship and they sail north from Troas to Neapolis. Neapolis, a beautiful port town in Macedonia, northern Greece of today. We've been there many a time. And right there at Neapolis, Paul, Luke joins them from Troas, and Silas and Timothy, they set foot on the continent of Europe for the first time. Off they go. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis, 
And from there, we traveled to Philippi. Philippi is about, a, about five miles north of Neapolis, north of the coast, not far away. It was a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. So they get to Philippi. Now, Philippi was originally a Roman garrison town, a military town. And to a large degree, it remained that even during Paul's day. There was not a single synagogue in Philippi. You need 10 men to form what's called a minion to form a synagogue. A synagogue is a house of study. But you didn't even have 10 Jews in Philippi. So there was no synagogue. Now what's Paul going to do? His method was go to the synagogue, teach in the synagogue, get thrown out of the synagogue, and so on. Well, if there are any God-fearing believers, that is, Gentile people drawn to the Jewish God, where might they be on the Sabbath? Well, they went outside the city gate to the river, the Zygotus River, more like a creek than a river, because they thought, well, maybe we'll find some people there praying down by the river. And sure enough, they did. We sat down and began to speak to some women who had gathered there. Now, one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira in Asia Minor. Thyatira is one of the seven cities mentioned in the book of Revelation. There was a church in Thyatira. And Lydia is from Thyatira. Thyatira is part of a territory that was known for its textile making. And Lydia imported purple cloth, purple, well, a range of color from pink all the way through deep crimson, including purple. It was very expensive dye made from the secretions of a murex, a snail-like creature, and you have to get a lot of them to get enough dye to dye cloth. So it was very, very expensive cloth. And why was it needed in Philippi? It was a Roman military town, and Roman officers wore the scarlet or purple cloth. Lydia set up shop. I imagine she had a contract with the Roman military to provide cloth for various uniforms of important uh, military people. So, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. They were baptized by Paul in the Zagatus River. You know, we've been there many a time and we've sat right along the river with our feet in the water. And indeed, I even baptized a few people in that river. Just like Paul. Oh, it was a thrill. Well, they invite the group to Lydia's home. And she said, if you consider me a believer uh, in the Lord, come stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So Lydia was a very well-to-do person. I think with a contract to deliver cloth, textiles to the Roman military. And she was a wealthy woman. 
she and the people in her house, there's no mention of a husband here, nor children, but presumably she had household help. And she puts up Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke. That's where they stay. Paul and Lydia will have a long relationship together. Paul will stop in Philippi during his travels. On the way back to Jerusalem, Paul stops at Philippi and he and Luke stay with Lydia during Passover. So we will have, we'll see more of Lydia as we go along. And in fact, in Philippi, from the Zygotus River, about, oh, maybe 200 yards away, now let's call it 300 yards, is a baptistry, not a church, a baptistry, an octagonal baptistry. And it's two or two stories tall with a, 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 a roof that reaches up perhaps to three stories in height. But on the second level inside, it's an octagonal building, so eight walls. And on the top part, portion of each wall is a mosaic of Paul's work in Philippi. But there's one stained glass window of Paul and Lydia standing together. As you look at the window, Paul is on the left, Lydia is on the right. Lydia is dressed in a scarlet robe, scarlet dress, if you will, and she's looking directly at us, giving us a blessing. Paul is standing to her right, or our left, and Paul has one hip thrust out, and he's looking over at Lydia as Paul is blessing us. Huh, I think Paul liked Lydia. And I, I tend to think that when we get to heaven and we're walking down the streets of heaven, we'll see Paul and Lydia walking hand in hand. <laughs> I would not be surprised at all. Well, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which he predict, predicted the future. Now she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. Now this girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up day after day after day. And finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and he said to the spirit in her, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Well, when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope for making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace to face the authorities. It, this was a slave girl who made money for us, and now she's worthless. So they brought them before the magistrates, and they said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And notice the anti-Semitism here. We're in a town, Philippi, that doesn't have a single synagogue, not even 10 Jewish men. And the accusation is, these men are Jews. Well, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. 
and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Now, upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their hands and feet in stocks. So here they are, Paul and Silas, in the stocks, way back in the, in the jail. They were, they were so far back, they had to pump air to them. Now, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. You could hear them way in the back. Amazing grace. How... <laughs> when suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. So the jail is made of stones. And with an earthquake, the iron gates buckle and simply fall off. All the doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose because the stones are all moving around. And the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. He thought the prisoners had escaped. Remember, when Peter breaks out of jail... When the angel breaks him out of jail, 16 guards had been put on him. And when they can't find Peter, the guards are put to death. Now this Philippian jailer knows this. You don't lose your prisoners. The punishment is death. He drew his sword. He's going to kill himself. And Paul, way back there in the jail, said, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And they're all back there singing, amazing grace. Well... The jailer called for lights. He rushed in. He fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Oh, sirs, what, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word to him, the word of the Lord, and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds. They had been flogged severely, recall. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. Down at the Zagatis River, the jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Well, when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jail with the order, release those men. We taught them their lesson, get them out of town. And the jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. So you can go now and leave them in peace. But Paul said to the officers, and this is so like Paul, ah, excuse me, they beat us publicly without a trial even though we are Roman citizens, and they threw us into prison, and now they want to get rid of us quietly? I don't think so. No, let them come themselves and escort us out of town with an apology. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. You know, the Romans get a bad rap in the first century 
in our movies today. It was funny. Here we are. We're now in Holy Week. This is Monday of Holy Week as I'm recording. And uh, last night, my wife and I were thinking, what, what can we watch on Netflix? You know, with COVID-19 going on for the past year, we watched pretty much every movie on Netflix. What can we watch? Let's see, Holy Week. How about The Robe with Richard Burton, 1952? We put that on and it is so hokey. <laughs> At the time, I remember seeing it as a child growing up in the 50s. It was amazing. But it is so hokey now. And the Romans are just cartoon caricatures. Uh, the Romans weren't like that at all. If you were a Roman citizen, you had rights. You had rights in court to face your accuser. You had rights economically. If you were a woman in the Roman Empire and a citizen, you kept your family name when you married. If you inherited money from your family, that was your money, not your husband's. You could travel, you could own a business like Lydia. No, the Roman Empire was a great blessing to humanity. They built 58,000 miles of roads all throughout the Roman Empire. A maritime trade system that, that equals our airline schedule with hubs and routes all over the Mediterranean. Remember the Roman world is the land mass surrounding the Mediterranean. How do you get from one point to the other? By ship. Oh, yes, over time there were some pretty bad characters, but we have some pretty bad characters in our own history. Every country does. But on the whole, the Roman Empire was a great blessing. And here we see, if you're a Roman citizen, you can't be treated like this. So they came to appease Paul and Silas, escorting them from prison and requesting them very politely to leave the city. So after Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. And then they left. Paul's first missionary trip into Europe. And it's just the beginning. From Philippi, Paul will move on westward to Thessaloniki or Thessalonica in Paul's day. So good to be back with you. I hope you have a blessed Holy Week and uh, spend the time during this Holy Week, especially as we hit the Holy Triduum, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, engage, engage with Christ. I'd recommend that you read in all four Gospels, from Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday through his crucifixion, resurrection, uh, burial, and resurrection. Read that story each day from one Gospel, all four Gospels, during this week. And come Easter morning, you'll be in a good place to celebrate the resurrection. Okay, good to be with you. Bye, gang. <laughs>